I'm recording this while I have a stew of goulash up on the stovetop using my butcher box ground beef. It's one of the dishes that my Eastern European grandmother used to make all the time, so there's a bit of comfort that comes along with this particular meal. And I always enjoy when my butcher box shows up because I know in that box is 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, pork that's raised crepe-free, and always wild-caught seafood. If you're looking to create some recipes from your youth or some comfort food for yourself, you can sign up for ButcherBox today by going to butcherbox.com conspirituality and use code conspirituality at checkout to enjoy your choice of bone and chicken thighs, top sirloins, or salmon in every box for an entire year, plus you'll get $20 off. Again, that's butcherbox.com conspirituality and use code conspirituality. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. On the evening of November 19th, 2022, a gunman entered Club Q on North Academy Boulevard in Colorado Springs and opened fire. He was shooting with an AR-15, wore body armor and carried multiple magazines of ammunition and an additional handgun. Five people were killed and 19 wounded, but several patrons of the LGBTQ nightclub fought back, tackling the man and pistol-whipping him with his own handgun. One trans woman stomped him repeatedly with her high-heeled shoes. Collectively, they subdued the 22-year-old murderer until the police arrived. November 19th was the night before the Transgender Day of Remembrance, and a drag brunch had been scheduled at Club Q for the 20th. Now, part of the response to this tragic event from legacy media was to point out the tone of anti-gay and transphobic moral panic emanating from Fox News and the online far-right echo chamber. The concept of stochastic terrorism was used to describe how stirring up dehumanizing hatred of a specific group creates the conditions in which the probability of acts of violence against that group increases. But then the discussion got complicated because the shooter communicated to the court and the media through his lawyers 
that he's actually non-binary, uses they, them pronouns, and goes by the honorific MX rather than Mr. or Ms. My bet is that he's trolling. He's, he's owning the libs by forcing us to see him as marginalized and then use the pronouns he demands. Either way, the right-wing propagandists were delighted. Meanwhile, in the time since, incidents of Proud Boys, Patriot Front, actual swastika flag-carrying Nazis, and other armed militia groups showing up outside venues hosting drag queen story hour events have become a new trend around the country. And in North Carolina, almost 40,000 people were without power for four days in early December after an act of criminal sabotage that some speculate was aimed at shutting down similar events occurred. I'm Julian Walker. And this is Conspirituality. There's a video that was released by the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus. The chorus has a mission, according to its website. We evolve society's views toward LGBTQ people through our commitment to excellence. This commitment to excellence caused them to release a video. It was a, a song called Message from the Gay Community. And the lyrics went something like this. You think that we'll corrupt your kids if our agenda goes unchecked. Honey, just this once, you're correct. We'll convert your children happens bit by bit, quietly and subtly, and you will barely notice it. We'll convert your children, we'll make them tolerant and fair. We're coming for them, we're coming for your children. There's not a lot of question that transgressivism targets kids. They have to, because here's the thing. If you wish to construct a society that hates all the institutions, you have to start with a crowd of people who haven't been shaped and molded by the institutions. But if you start with the kids and you blow up the institutions for the kids, you can shape them in whatever direction you want. And the transgressives are not hiding the ball in this particular respect. They actually believe they're doing a favor to kids. They're liberating the kids. Because after all, if you get rid of all these institutions, kids can lead more fulfilled, fluid, happy lives. The most obvious manifestation of this is Drag Queen Story Hour or family-friendly drag shows across the country. As you most likely know, that's Ben Shapiro. A few weeks ago, I filed a report on the billionaire fundamentalists behind the combined right-wing cultural juggernaut of PragerU and The Daily Wire. The Daily Wire last month surpassed one million paying subscribers, and WebSimilar's analytic data says their website gets around 28 million visits a month. Their main YouTube channel has 863 million views, but that's before any calculations on the multiple dedicated channels for each of the star personalities under their umbrella, which collectively total over 15 million subscribers. Meanwhile, PragerU's YouTube channel boasts 1.5 billion views. In case you missed it, the seed money for both of these companies, who have a lot of overlapping employees and guests, was provided by Texas billionaires, the Wilkes brothers, who grew up in a goat shed and are heirs to a fringe church started by their father called Assembly of Yahweh Seventh Day. Dan and Farris Wilkes, known as the Wilkes brothers, made their fortune by getting in early on the fracking boom and have since used millions from that money to fund ultra-conservative politicians. The Wilkes also have family members positioned on the board of PragerU and Farris Wilkes owns Forward Publishing LLC, which 
is the production company behind the Daily Wire's uniquely big-budget aesthetic as an emergent social media, TV, and film enterprise. Now, I, I remarked last time on how Assembly of Yahweh is sometimes described as a Jews for Jesus type church. I also said they had appropriated aspects of Judaism, but deliver it in the familiar Christian evangelical frame. So live bands with electric guitars, big screen visual displays, and preachers in suits or casual collared shirts. The rigid fundamentalism, you know, all the good stuff. Yeshua is the lion, the lion of Judah. Now that's their Hebrew styling of Jesus, Yeshua. Most importantly for our discussion, Assembly of Yahweh Seventh Day sees abortion and homosexuality as being not only sins but crimes. So presumably, under a theocracy that they had any say in, jail time or worse, would be the penalty for these crimes. Now, I'm not going to rehash what follows in much detail, but this is relevant to our topic today. We looked last time at how the, at that point, relatively mild, still um, metastasizing episode of anti-Semitism being spoken into the cultural discourse by the artist formerly known as Kanye West, and to a lesser extent by NBA player Kyrie Irving, how this was being defended by Candace Owens as definitely not anti-Semitic, and that led to a Twitter flare-up between her and her kind of boss, Ben Shapiro. You see, both Shapiro and Dennis Prager, who heads up PragerU, are Orthodox Jews, and as we've identified, they oversee the new face of far right-wing media, which is more edgy, youthful, cleverly framed, slickly produced, and manipulative than anything that came before. And behind Shapiro and Prager sit the Wilkes brothers, one of whom, Ferris Wilkes, is the current pastor of the Assembly of Yahweh Church. Now, as we know, Ye has, of course, only doubled down since last we talked. As each of his big brand partners gradually dropped him, as more and more political and news figures denounced his statement, he just kept making podcast appearances, and all of them were happy to platform him for clicks and, and views revenue, each one becoming more and more fringe and right-wing than the one before until he ended up at the event horizon that is Alex Jones's InfoWars show as the Mac Daddy black hole of unhinged conspiracy propaganda welcomed Kanye West he perhaps appropriately selected what seemed like a full-body black bondage suit, complete with something on his head I can only describe as a ski mask with no holes. And from this faceless outfit as cry for help, West, seeming increasingly mentally unwell, told the world, as I know you've seen, that he liked Nazis. And everyone had something to offer the world, especially Hitler, the Holocaust never happened, and that the Fuhrer had invented freeways, as well as Kanye's favorite microphone. 
This is all in between rambling incoherently and repetitively and at times during doing this strange puppet show in which he used a high-pitched voice to portray Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu as threatening him and, and wanting to come after him and take his family away. Opportunistic far-right white supremacist Nick Fuentes, who had also joined Ye on the Tim Pool podcast that West had walked out on in protest, as well as at the dinner with Donald Trump over the Thanksgiving weekend, sat smirking beside him. Legacy media is, of course, outraged, but this clip also caught my eye. I don't think he hates Jewish people. I think he's been wronged. Yes. And I think that he's aiming sometimes a howitzer. He's being imprecise. Right. Yes. Yeah. Um, but he's not wrong about everything. Look, is there a conversation to be had about secular hum- humanists with Jewish last names in Hollywood exploiting people uh, in positions of, uh, you know, the performance arts talent? Yeah. Yeah. Is there a disproportional, uh, disproportionate number of people with Jewish last names in higher banking? That's, that's an argument that can be made. That's... Stephen Crowder. He's the host of the eponymous Louder with Crowder YouTube channel, which has almost 6 million subscribers and over 1.6 billion views. A quick search shows that he has two videos on his featured page at PragerU and is also referenced in the title of nine articles on the Daily Wire blog, some of which feature embedded videos from his YouTube channel. Here's what I found really interesting about that last clip. It's the standard butter wouldn't melt in my mouth just asking questions, right-wing pundit stance. You know, there's a conversation to be had about how people with Jewish last names are disproportionately represented in banking and the entertainment industry. Like, it's the first time I bet that Steven Crowder has ever, really talked, has ever talked about people being disproportionately represented. Um... And he says that they have, of course, been exploiting artists. But notice the other description he adds. These are, he says, secular atheists who happen to have Jewish last names. I mean, this is kind of brilliant, right? Hey, powerful Orthodox Jewish media magnets and big donor conservative evangelical pseudo-Jews. I'm not talking about you at all. You're the good ones. I'm talking about those evil secular humanist liberals who happen to have Jewish last names. Now, we'll see what happens, but color me unsurprised if this way of laundering and repositioning anti-Semitism as anti-non-religious liberal Jews catches on as part of the descriptive language of right-wing media. They stand for victimizing and preying upon kids. So it falls to us. Now, here's the fact of the matter. There is in this state and all across the country a conspiracy to target and indoctrinate our children into the cult of gender ideology. A cult which fosters delusion, intentionally creates an identity crisis in young, impressionable kids. It's a cult which convinces them that gender doesn't exist, that they have no identity. It's a path to confusion and despair. Now, for years, this has been happening right here in the state of Tennessee, not far from where we currently stand. As my team and I uncovered, Vanderbilt Hospital got into the gender transition game 
because it's, quote, a big moneymaker. Those are their own words. And soon they were drugging and mutilating adults as well as children. Now, let me ask you, let me ask you guys this. As Tennesseans, do we believe in castrating children? Do we believe in that? No. Do we believe in drugging and mutilating kids? They believe in it. We don't. Um, are we going to allow this in our state? Are we going to do what they want us to do, which is sit back in silence and allow our kids to be victimized? Are we? It isn't our kids' battle. It's ours. And we're not just fighting to protect our kids from mutilation in the name of gender transition. We're fighting that, but at an even deeper level. We are fighting for truth. That's what we stand for. We stand for absolute truth. That's what we stand for, right there. We're not going to rest until every child is protected from this madness. So the other side, they can shout and they can scream and they can call us whatever names they want. None of that will dissuade us because this is a battle of good versus evil. And we are fighting for good. We're fighting for what is true. We're fighting for people who cannot fight for themselves and shouldn't have to. That's what we're fighting for. We're in this for the long haul, for as long as it takes, right? This is only the beginning, I promise you that. Thank you all. God bless. Thank you. The Club Q shooting happened on November 19th. And the clip you just heard is from the previous October 24th, less than a month earlier. And that was Daily Wire presenter Matt Walsh, creator of the popular anti-trans gotcha style, quote unquote, documentary film titled What is a Woman? He's speaking there at an event he spearheaded. It was held at the Tennessee State Capitol and called The Rally to End Child Mutilation. Estimates put the rally size at between 1 and 3,000, depending on who you ask. Speakers included Walsh, two U.S. senators, the new House Majority Leader, William Lamberth, Tulsi Gabbard, and others. The entire focus of the event was protecting children and teenagers from all forms of trans-affirming medical care. Now, I'm not here today to unpack the nuanced complexities of this topic, and there are more than a few. But I do want to point out that this is the latest language technique in the stoking of culture war moral panics. Referring to medical care for trans kids as child mutilation is inflammatory. It demonizes both parents of those kids and doctors and invalidates the kids while rallying concerned citizens to a righteous battle against nefarious evil. In the run-up to the rally, and in the time between the rally and the Club Q shooting, Daily Wire hosts Matt Walsh, Ben Shapiro, and Candace Owens have all been using the same coordinated vocabulary. Doctors are mutilating and sterilizing our children, they say, while the left cheers them on. Parents and teachers who support trans kids, they say, are groomers, 
a term that used to be reserved for adults who formed inappropriate relationships with children, thereby earning their trust and maybe even their parents' trust on the way towards eventually acting out their pedophilia. But now, anyone who seeks to create acceptance and safety for LGBTQ young children is branded by these right-wingers as grooming them. It's the old wound reopened. Queer people are pedophiles. Gay and lesbian teachers will corrupt your child and turn them. Any mention of gay relationships or transgendered people existing is putting decadent ideas into children's heads. Hence, the Florida Parents' Rights in Education Act, passed by Ron DeSantis in March of this year, sometimes called the Don't Say Gay Bill by activists who point out that it forbids any acknowledgement of LGBTQ existence in schools and therefore any acknowledgement that some of those kids in those schools might actually be LGBTQ themselves. But this cynical employment of the term groomer actually originates with one James Lindsay. He's a former academic, famous for a spate of television appearances during the last moral panic. You remember the one about critical race theory in schools. Lindsay was the guy who would come on and say that critical race theory was the latest incarnation of a stealthy plot that goes all the way back to a group of Marxist philosophers in pre-World War II Frankfurt who wanted to turn America communist. Anyway, on Twitter, Lindsay became well-known for replying to any criticisms levied at him with the retort, OK, groomer a new spin on the millennial quip, OK Boomer, directed at anyone exhibiting outdated politics or cultural attitudes. You see, James Lindsay and his critical race theory moral panic companion, Chris Rufo, found a way to fold anti-LGBTQ bigotry into their red scare rhetoric. So listen to him here with Megyn Kelly. Give us the broad 30,000-foot overview on what's happening in American schools right now with respect to this. Yeah, well, I I think, you know, what I'm looking at, and it's just kind of an ongoing series, I just started it, um, is to take that same system of reporting, that same style of reporting as I did with critical race theory, uh, but now taking a look at gender ideology. And uh, surprise, surprise, they go really hand in hand. A lot of the districts that have been promoting CRT are also promoting this Uh, gender theory and grades as young as pre-kindergarten and kindergarten. And now here's Chris Rufo shouting out James Lindsay and the propaganda etymology. Um, Could you explain to me uh, the the rise in the popularity, where where the word groomer came from in uh, America and why why the left particularly are so frightened of it? Sure. I, I don't know, actually, the etymology if you go way back, but in the recent moment and the kind of discourse that we have, uh, I, I think I traced it back actually to James Lindsay or Conceptual James on Twitter. Uh, he was the first person to really go after it and using the word groomer or grooming. But from my perspective, I think the word grooming is an important word. It's an accurate word, but you have to be careful in in. in deploying it uh, uh, responsibly, but also understanding that it has a range of meanings. So one could be groomed into an ideology, 
like a cult grooming or an ideological grooming. One can be groomed into an identity. Um, we have in this new gender ideology this constantly morphing uh, group of, of neo-identities. And so one can be certainly influenced and encouraged and, and manipulated into adopting a, a, a one of these synthetic sexual identities. And then finally, of course, uh, as, as with the grooming gangs, one can be groomed for actual physical abuse. That's the most rare form. It's the most extreme form. It's at the top of that pyramid, definitional pyramid. Um, but all of these things are certainly happening. We have the evidence is quite strong. And they're happening at least uh, in, our, in our stretch of the world in the public school system. Um, we've had actually at least uh, one public school teacher arrested for child sex crimes every day so far this year. Uh, we've seen the explosion in these identities uh, like genderqueer, pansexual, uh, et cetera, et cetera. There's you know, infinite varieties. These are really kind of they spread through the social effect. People are being manipulated, I think, into identifying them. And then, of course, you have kind of cult and general ideological grooming happening. Uh, at a frequent rate. And now, here's Lindsay. He's set himself up with lucratively branded workshops and trainings for concerned parents. He sits at a table speaking with his laptop open in front of a huge backdrop with new discourses, the name of his YouTube channel and company, and has his logo on it that looks like a line drawing of a brain seen from above. But we have to address the elephant in the room. I'm wearing my fancy OK Groomer shirt. Grooming has obvious sexual connotations. I've been pressed at tremendous length by journalists from Washington Post, Daily Dot. Media Matters people didn't bother talking to me, so they just wrote a hit piece on me, which that's fine. That's what they do. They want to ask, and they ask again and again, and I get pressed again and again, are you accusing people of being pedophiles without proof that they're pedophiles? The Washington Post reporter asked me that directly, and I said, no, I'm not. I strongly suspect that we will find lots of evidence of that happening because we are opening the door. We are making children comfortable with the idea of talking about sex and sexuality with adults who are not their parents and, in fact, who are encouraging them to hide those conversations from their parents. So this is the kind of environment that predators will flock to. That is not to say that your typical teacher or even your typical implementer of this agenda is necessarily a pedophile in the sense that you have to worry about. They are engaging in the kind of thing that breaks down the barriers to where when another teacher who might be a predator or another authority figure in the school who might be a predator starts to break down those barriers again, they see no cause for alarm. We already talk about that kind of stuff. It's normal. Why would I tell my parents? They don't have to ask me to hide it. We already talk about that stuff. So they're, in a sense, desensitizing for actual groomers. And those people are, frankly, opportunists. We call them predators frequently for a reason. And so there's this kind of, on one hand, some level of handshake agreement between the two strategies, Marxism and um, sexual sexualization of children, and maybe even the sexual abuse of children. Broken people help communists. But on the other hand, there doesn't need to be a handshake agreement, so we don't need to accuse where there is no accusation to make. Now, despite the relief of the midterm red wave never actually appearing, blue winds higher up the ticket in several states actually turn out to contrast dramatically with school board victories by scores of far-right activists lower down on those tickets. 
Moms for Liberty are the group organizing the assault on this front. Founded just last year, 2021, they already have close to 200 chapters in 37 states. They claim almost 110,000 members, and Moms for Liberty endorsed 270 school board candidates in these most recent midterm elections, half of whom won. This is the latest incarnation of the vocal activism showing up at school board meetings to protest masks, then vaccine mandates, then critical race theory, and of course now what they call grooming. The style remains one of posturing as a non-political grassroots organization of ordinary concerned parents powered by t-shirt sales and word of mouth. Meanwhile, they're taking funding from deep-pocketed right-wing donors and hosting Ron DeSantis as the keynote speaker at their national conference. Now, opponents of these activists report harassment, intimidation, and false accusations of child abuse that then launch investigations from government agencies. Leaked materials from their seminars show the standard florid word salad around how globalist socialists are seeking to undermine American freedom by indoctrinating children. So here's James Lindsay again. He's speaking at the Moms for Liberty Summit this past September. So I want to talk about one of my favorite Germans who I've popularized for all of you people by the name of Klaus Schwab. Boo! Yes, Klaus Schwab actually comes into this story. So he wrote this charming book this year called The Great Narrative. Because we have to have a great narrative to tell us how to be, apparently. And it's, of course, that there's existential threats all around us, if you wondered what the great narrative is, like climate change and all these other things. And so we need to come together in cooperation and give all the power to them to manage the great threats. That's the great narrative that we have to now instill in everybody. But in that book, he says, we're going to have this great mechanism to do this, it's going to be called Environmental, Social, and Governance Metrics, ESG scores. And we're going to apply them to corporations using both government power and financial power from the big banks. So if corporations don't want to get on board, we have this top-down power. Government and corporation and a public-private partnership will come together. He says in our free liberal democracies, we don't really like the idea of public-private partnerships because the actual word for that is fascism. This is going to apply to everything. But the thing is, Klaus is talking about a bottom-up movement that's going to demand this in case that top-down program fails, and how is he going to get it? Well, you have to educate the young people with new values, just like the critical Marxist Herbert Marcuse wrote in the 1960s. We have to interject new values to create a new sensibility and a new rationality to create a new reality. You have to get them into the kids. It's a lot easier. The kids don't know different. Lenin, who has a, been fashioned into a bust that sits on the bookcase behind Klaus Schwab in his office, Vladimir Lenin, said, you give me the child for four years and I'll plant a seed so deep you'll never uproot what comes out of it. Hitler said, what are you? You're going to pass away. I have your children. They understand this. Mao Zedong in China reorganized the, not just the entire education system, but the entire society to become an education system to instill its values, but he focused on a youth movement. Klaus Schwab says, we need social-emotional learning. And the point of social-emotional learning is to teach the children not to be able to survive in a world, not to be able to 
be psychologically competent, that biological foundation for socialism, Marcuse tells us in a footnote, means the psychological foundation, to not be able to be psychologically competent to live in a world that's not ESG compliant. So they've got to brainwash the kids, and I don't mean brainwash in some cute way, I mean brainwash in the sense of the word she now, which is in Mandarin, which is literally what the Maoist prisons referred to as their program of thought reform, brainwashing. She now means wash brain. If you ever have to go to the bathroom in China, it's Shishojian, which that means hand wash room. You go to the hand washing room, so she is wash, now is brain, she now, brainwash. We didn't come up with a cute term, the Chinese actually called it that. <clears throat> and that's what social emotional learning, that's what our education system has become, a program of Maoist style thought reform in order to install the demand for ESG compliance in the future generation. That's why our friend Mr. DeSantis talked about both of these powers, by the way, the government and the corporations. He mentioned our favorite other D word, Disney. This is why Disney wants to do what Disney did. He talked about what a risk it was, how stupid it seemed. How on earth would you want to die on this hill, he said. ESG score went up. That's why. Disney, with its children's entertainment programming, is integral to the program of instilling new values into children. Why are these books in the libraries? Why are there courses teaching pornography? Not about it as a concept. Teaching porn studies. Why do these exist? That's in college still for the moment, by the way. Not high school yet. Why do these exist? Because children already encounter it in the world. They're on the internet. They see pornography, so we have to teach them about sex and sexuality all the way down to pre-K. That's actually the justification they give. If they're not watching pornography on the internet, hopefully, they saw it on Disney anyway. I know, that's a lot to take in. So let's just pivot now from James Lindsay's pseudo-academic conspiracist fear-mongering to a much less eloquent but still highly influential propagandist. And I told you what is potentially going on and what people believe is going on is that TikTok is intentionally and artificially um, putting up, uh, lifting up the accounts that are the most perverse because TikTok is Chinese owned and what better way to attack society than to celebrate perversity. America, America has become a culture of perversity. The West has become a culture of perversity. What is more perverse than a mentally disordered young man pretending to be a woman frolicking through the woods saying, I'm scared of bugs and so therefore I'm a woman and talking like this. Well, if you don't believe in conspiracies, you might believe in them when I tell you that this individual who started a TikTok account was just given permission to interview President Joe Biden. Now, what's strange about that? President Joe Biden doesn't give interviews. President Joe Biden has barely given any interviews. Of course, that's Candace Owens. But to return to the religious ideology that underpins the founding of the Daily Wire, here she is on her show again, wondering out loud if gay people are really gay. All right, guys, so it's true. I am perpetually asked this question. Candace, where do you stand on homosexuality? Why does it seem like conservatives are now avoiding that topic? It seems as if conservatives have given up on the homosexual debate altogether. And we now just talk about transgenderism. Now, 
I wanted to talk about this topic in terms of some recent experience that I had that really challenged me to think about it in a different way. So first and foremost, a few years ago, it seemed a little bit innocuous at the time, but now it has a lot more meaning. I was walking down the street in Washington, D.C. There is a lot, especially in inner cities, you know this, and people will say, because if you're gay or lesbian, you move to an inner city because you will be more accepted. There's more people, obviously. But in D.C., there is a high presence, particularly along 14th Street, of lesbian and gay people, and they're out, and there's a lot of rainbow flags. And I was walking down the street with an immigrant, a person that was from Eastern Europe and was visiting the United States, and they asked me this question very seriously. They said, Candace, why are there so many gay people in America? And I sort of laughed because it was just such, I don't know, the audacity of the question, but also because of how sincere the individual was being when they asked it. It wasn't said from this stance of homophobia. There was no fear of gay people, but they're just asking like, hey, actually, why are there so many? And I didn't answer their question in a meaningful way, but they then said to me, well, we just don't have this many gay people in Eastern Europe. We just, we just don't have this many people. And I thought, Like, you're probably thinking, oh, well, it's probably just cultural differences. Maybe you actually do have that many gay people, and you just don't realize it because they're scared to come out, right? That's the idea. They're trembling in a closet everywhere else but in America because we've become open and we've become accepting. Now, Eastern Europe is not Saudi Arabia. You're not going to get thrown off of buildings for being gay. Um, And yet, this person was telling me that this seemed bizarre to them, that there were this many people waving rainbow flags, this many gay couples walking down the street. That conversation stayed with me. A second conversation, and this is probably the most interesting conversation that I have ever had about the LGBTQ plus community, it was with a gay man, a gay man that is conservative, You're probably thinking, Candace, there's no such thing as a gay man that is conservative. But yes, in fact, there are a bunch of gay conservatives that do not have sex, right? So they acknowledge that they are gay, but they believe that it is the act of sodomy that the Bible condemns. And this individual is a gay Christian who goes to church every Sunday, probably more than that. And he says, you know, I do not engage in sexual relations as a gay man. And I found that to be fascinating. And I spoke further with him about that. And here's what he said to me, and trust me, I know this is going to sound ridiculous, but we're going somewhere here. He said, Candace, in my experience, of all of the gay people that I have met in the gay community, probably only 10% of them, maybe even less, are actually gay. I went, what? What do you you mean only 10% of them are actually gay? He said, no, 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 I'm serious. About 10% of them do I think, maybe even less, were actually born gay. The rest of them have other issues going on. He used himself as an example. He said, for me, and me as, a, as an example, I have daddy issues. I grew up without a father in the home. And for me, establishing a relationship, some sort of a relationship as a gay man makes me feel like I'm getting that love that I missed. He also intimated to me that a lot of other people had been molested when they were children, and they had various reasons for becoming a part of the gay community consciously, right? So they're choosing to be gay, but they weren't born gay, since that always seems to be at the crux of the debate. So he's saying that people are artificially becoming gay people because of various uh, experiences that they have had in the past. We started off today with the tragic Club Q shooting and how certain figures manufacture outrage 
against schools and libraries and venues who host LGBTQ events. But in addition to using the inflammatory language of sterilization and mutilation on the genitals of children, in addition to encouraging protest actions at specific hospitals and naming individual doctors as enemies of the people, so special mention here to their friends, libs of TikTok, the Daily Wire also frames gay marriage as central to an apocalyptic moral degeneracy in America. You know, one of the things that's, that's happened here, Matt, is all, all of the redefinition of marriage, you know, again, everyone wants to make about same-sex marriage, but it really isn't about same-sex marriage. It's really about the decline and fall of Western civilization. You undermine marriage, and what you end up with is people who are not actually maturing as human beings. You have endless adolescence. You have no procreation, no children. The West is, is now reproducing at well under replacement rates. The only Western country that is reproducing above replacement rates is, is actually Israel. That's the only one. That's because it is a very a culturally and religiously based tradition. There are wide differences, by the way, within Western civilization among religious believers, right? Religious believers are still getting married. They are still having kids. They are still not getting divorced nearly as often. People who are not religious are not getting married. What you're seeing, this has an impact politically, actually. You're seeing a rising voting block in the United States. The rising voting block is single women. Single women are an increasing percentage of the American population. They voted overwhelmingly for the Democrats, and they voted on the basis, presumably, of a couple of, of actual policies. One is more government largesse, which makes sense. If you don't have a partner, then having the government provide some support makes some sense. And two, abortion, because again, what what you want to be able to do is is not be, quote unquote, saddled with a child, the way that Barack Obama talked about his daughters being, quote unquote, punished with a child. Well, as we, as a society, move away from the idea that men have a duty to, to produce and then defend their children, and that women have a duty to bear and rear their children, and that this is how society functions. As we move away from that, it shouldn't be a surprise that society is falling apart. Yeah, it's not, and that's and that's why there, there there are a lot of consequences, as you point out. I mean, the collapse of civilization happens, and that's that's much more important than the political consequences. But as far as the politics go, this is uh, one of the reasons why Republicans are quite foolish to give up on the battle for marriage, and then by extension, giving up on the battle for the family. Because along with civilization collapsing, um, also the Republican Party is going to collapse a lot sooner than that. Um, you're just you're making yourself irrelevant uh, because. Single people are much more susceptible to the machinations of, a, of of the Democrat Party and leftism, much more easily, much more easy to manipulate. And and you know a lot of that is because yeah, if you have a, a child and you're not married, then you're much more likely to see that as a crisis. Whereas if you're married, then you have the structure in place. Even if you weren't planning on having a kid, even if you feel like you're not ready for it, you have the structure in place to care for the child. Um, and that's that's why we just we we cannot give up on 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 this issue. And if Republicans give up on it, then they've given up on themselves. They've given up on their own political future. Yeah, Matt, I think that there's another thing that's happening, too, and that is that that in the absence of definitions and reality and, and frankly, God, in the absence of all of those things. What you end up with is a belief that the government is God and simply can redefine reality at whim, which is why you now have the belief. Like, look, no matter what bill the government passes or no matter what Supreme Court decision is is made, suggesting that marriage is actually between any two consenting adults, marriage is not between any two consenting adults. It just isn't. I mean, it's like if the Supreme Court made a decision tomorrow declaring that the color blue is yellow, well, they can make that decision and we can build all of our, our, our laws around that, that silliness. But it does not reflect reality. And eventually reality is going to have a say here. And in fact, it's not eventual. It already is having a say as marriage completely collapses, implodes, and people don't have kids. And we have perennial adolescence and, and the idea that, that 
adults or atomistic individuals who ought to be pursuing their own hedonistic pleasure until they die. All right, so the sky is falling. The Supreme Court could tell you the sky is green, dogs are cats, cats are dogs, and gay people can get married. Everything is imploding. Candace Owens thinks that Dylan Mulvaney getting to talk to Joe Biden is evidence of a Chinese Communist Party conspiracy through TikTok, and that gay people are not really gay, but are persuaded to be gay or choosing to be gay because of experiences they've had. Of course, Candace Owens also indulges plenty of this child mutilation rhetoric, as does her fellow Daily Wire presenter, Jordan Peterson. Every young woman made artificially barren, every budding beauty. So ashamed of her breasts that she lets a Machiavellian psychopath cut them off. Have some courage and some fortitude. Man the barricades and keep the degenerates away from the children. I don't have any answers about how we deal with this. I do think it's important to understand how the right-wing propaganda domain functions and what we're really up against. Because it's a multi-pronged attack, there are well-funded campaigns to hijack school boards polished media organizations with an ultra-conservative theocratic agenda. There's an aggressive weaponizing of social media and inflammatory language designed to dehumanize enemies who are often explicitly named. And the recent goings-on since Elon Musk has taken over Twitter don't seem to be taking us in a good direction on that front. And then in the wake of violence that they've all but called for themselves, these agitators are quick to claim that the liberal media is exploiting tragedy, which meanwhile has been enacted by the very guns that they actually lobby for and in the name of the very hateful ideologies and moral panic urgency that they espouse set on fire, and then throw gasoline upon. In the meantime, as we see from both Stephen Crowder and then by Gavin McInnes when hosting Kanye West, the willingness to traffic in anti-Semitic conspiracism while designating liberal secular humanist Jews as the real enemy, as opposed to conservative religious Jews like Shapiro and Prager, is a new wrinkle to be smoothed over by the right-wing laundering project that just won't quit. But this machinery is not just about laundering old forms of hatred. It also hijacks everything that is good, concepts like freedom and love of country and protecting children, and it poisons our capacity to have nuanced and respectful and thoughtful conversations about the most important topics, race, sex, gender, education, how all of that relates to government. So let's keep seeing it for what it is and naming it and refusing to play their game by their rules. 
Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you next time. If you found yourself curious about the previous installment of these reports, uh, you can access that through our Patreon feed. And that first episode, I believe, is called Kanye, Candace, and the Billionaire Christians. Take care.